Well, good morning. I am not Rob Catalani. My name is Josh Eisenhart, Director of Family Ministries here at Browncroft. Been on staff at Browncroft since 2003, which is a long time. It's a really long time. Uh, but in those years, I've been serving in student ministry, first in middle school, and then uh, after 10 years, much like my real middle school experience, uh, got to high school. And um, <laughs> those are the jokes. They're working so far. Uh, <laughs> Um, but worked uh, in student ministry for all that time, and, and now I'm shifting over in family ministries. There's a couple things that we see as big opportunities for our ministry. One, college students. We, uh, we have all these great college students. They might be here. Any college students here today? That's too early. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Uh, but college students who go through our program... Uh, when they leave here, how are we staying connected to them? And then all those college kids that come into Rochester uh, in the fall, uh, how are we connecting with them? How are we sharing the gospel with them? And then another area is parents. Oh, how many parents are here today? See, you guys woke up early. That's cool. Uh, yeah, we, we do a lot for parents right now. We give a lot of information, but man, there's so much more we can do to help encourage you and equip you and support you uh, as a church. And so that's really something I'm going to be working on a little bit. Uh, so I just wanted to fill you in. We have Aaron McGinnis and Steve Mealy. Anybody know those guys? They're awesome, taking over student ministry and doing a really, really wonderful job. Um, but just to get into this morning, there have been moments in my life and maybe you can relate to this, uh, that I can remember where God has asked me to do something very specific. Not audibly, but you, you have that holy nudge, like, hey, go, go do this. Go talk to that person. Go, go uh, explore this opportunity. You need to say something. You need to make a move. And there are always two potential answers. It's very thought-provoking right now. There's two answers you can give. Either yes or no, right? Yes or no. Uh, and as, a, as a, when I was a child and knowing my parents and also recruiting volunteers uh, over the last many years, saying maybe later, that's just a nicer way to say no, right? Uh, so we either listen to that little voice, that nudge, or we avoid it. And for me, I've, I've answered that question both ways. Probably for every uh, conversation I've engaged or every hot chocolate I've bought for someone who looks like they're cold on the street or a meal, there's probably three or four or five times where I've avoided it. Three or four or five times where I've, I've walked the other way. And so the question that I want us to examine this morning today is what if we all said yes when we felt that nudge from God? Would you pray with me this morning? God, speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear your word and a heart to receive your message. In Jesus' name, amen. So 45 days ago, I sat in Rob's office across from his long table there, and he said, Josh, I'd love for you to preach on December 29th. And I said, Rob, we got John Amayo, we got Marilyn Pelton, we got Torrance Sparkman. We got Sherwin Damdar. We got Peter Englert. What do you need me for? I don't really want to do this. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget it, that, that Rob look in his eyes, the wise sage, Jedi master look that he has. <laughs> he looked at me and said, Josh, 
They all said no. <laughs> no, he, <laughs> he said, Josh, you told me you'd be willing to do this a few months ago. What's changed? And it's true that a few months before that, I had sat in his office and said, hey, if you ever need, um, if you ever need somebody to fill in and preach, I, I, I want to take that step. I want to, I want to go further and, and challenge myself. But in those few months, man, my, my attitude changed, my heart changed, things had happened. And so I just launched into all these reasons and excuses, some of them valid, but most of them definitely not, about why I didn't want to do this. And eventually, right in that moment, I felt God saying, I felt that nudge. I felt him saying, hey, I want you to do this. And so reluctantly, I said yes. And I say reluctantly because this is uncomfortable to me, right? So if you're all teenagers, for some reason that changes things to me, and I'm totally comfortable. Or if you give me the microphone and say, Josh, go try to be funny or lead a game or something, very comfortable. But preaching, man, that changes things, and it's in my head, and I'm like, ah, I don't like this. I just want to do the things that I want to do. And it was there in that moment that I heard God say, you being uncomfortable, Josh, is exactly why I want you to do this. Because I have something to say through you about that. And so this morning, here we are. Uh, and I want to spend some time looking at a passage that I think applies to some of the fears that we all have as parents, as teens, as young adults, as not so young adults. Wherever you are in the spectrum, we have moments where we are paralyzed by what God is asking us to do and what he confronts us with. So turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Exodus chapter 4. You can click to them if you need to. Uh, you can go on the Version app. I love the Version app. I think it's up. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I love taking notes on the Version app uh, every single week, and I'm back there clicking away. And then a kid will come up to me and say, hey, you were texting during church. I'll be like, nope. Took my notes. Most of the time. <laughs> so in chapter four, we are entering the middle of a conversation. So I wanted to give you just a little context here. Chapter four, Moses is speaking to God, or rather God is speaking to Moses, or rather a burning bush is speaking to Moses. So in chapter three, just to set this up, Moses sees a burning bush, walks over, it says, I'm God. Totally normal so far. And God says to him, Moses, I've heard the cry of your people, right? The Israelites at this time are slaves in Egypt. And God says, I've heard the cry of your people, and it's time for me to make a move. So I'm sending you to the leaders of the Israelites to tell them what I'm going to do, and then you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, it's time to let the people go. And Moses reacts with, whoa, who am I? to talk to Pharaoh, who, I mean, I'm just Moses. And God realizes what he's asking Moses to do, I think, and so he says, listen, Moses, I, I understand. I got your back. I'm going with you. Don't worry. And so Moses' next thing he says is, well, who do I even tell the Israelites that you are? I mean, I'm, I'm coming to them, and I'm saying this bush talk to me, and I don't know who, what's your name? And this is a famous passage in the Bible where where God says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that I am the God of, of their fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he goes on to give 
Moses a script. He says, use these exact words. Like God is handing him like the prophet in a box kit. Here's everything you need to do. Just go do it. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 4 this morning, verse 1. We're going to read, actually, we're going to read a pretty large portion of this 1 through 17. So what I'd love for you to do is stand up with, with me. I guess I'm already standing, so... Stand up, and we're just going to, I'm going to read it, but just follow along. If, if it gets too long, just lean on somebody. It'll be okay. Uh, but this is right after he gave him the script of what to say. Moses answered in verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. And Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. That sounds familiar. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. Whew, sounds like the makings of a good parenting sermon, doesn't it? Sounds really good. You guys can have a seat. Now, I know this is not your typical uh, sermon that you'd hear on the last Sunday of December. It'd be something about new you and, and the new uh, year ahead. But, man, when I read this, it's, it not only spoke to me just as a human but as a parent, right? When I think about the responsibility that I have been given trying to raise my kids in this world for God and navigate all the ups and downs in life and how I can often feel at times confused or unequipped or paralyzed by fear or indifference. But there are a few things that I want to pick out of this passage this morning that I think is really going to help us all. As we read and understand the moments leading up to this point, we see Moses continually making excuses and lacking confidence in what God is telling him to do. In fact, in those two chapters, chapter three and chapter four, Moses has five phrases, and all of them 
are doubt-filled, every single one of them. Even though God says that he'll be with him, even though he writes the script for him, he does everything he can, uh, he still lacks the trust to pull off what God says he wants him to do because the task at hand is huge, right? There are, estimates say that there are about two million Israelites that were slaves in Egypt at the time. So he want, he's gonna go to the Israelite leaders, say God sent me and we're going to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's just gonna let us go. I don't think Pharaoh wants to get rid of two million free workers that quickly. But in verse two, God says one thing. He says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses was full of doubt. And God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? That seems kind of insignificant, but I think it's really profound. Because that simple question tells us a lot about God. This isn't a magical stick that he has in his hand. This is a shepherd's staff used for shepherding sheep, I guess, and fending off wolves and, I don't know, shepherd lightsaber battles. I, I don't know what they would use them for. But it's just a stick. There's nothing uh, special about this. But God is saying in a very profound way in this moment, I will use what you have to do what I want you to do. I'll use what you got. Just trust me with what you have. We see this later in the Gospels when Jesus feeds thousands of people with just a boy's lunch. What was in his hand? Five loaves and two fish. Thousands of people ate. He'll use what's in our hand. And that's my first thought today, is use what you have been given. Now this is classic Josh right here. College Josh was very spontaneous. Um, and even young adult Josh, very spontaneous. Hey, let's go do something. Let's just get up and go. Let's do something. The word how never crossed my mind very often. But as I've gotten older and I've matured, I feel, I feel like the pendulum has swung all the way back this way. And now all I do is wait. I wait for things to be perfect. I wait for the situation to be just right before I act. When I feel that nudge, maybe God's telling me to, to go do something. He's telling me to, 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 to start a new ambition, to, to go after it. I'll, I'll know what's in my hand, but I'll just say, no, 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 I'll hold on and wait until someone walks through the door with the plan. How many of you ever have that happen to you? Does the plan ever all the time walk? No, that never happens, right? God is saying, I'm giving you that holy nudge. Do something with it. Take inventory of what's in your hand and start working on it now. I wait for those circumstances to be perfect, and if I'm honest, when I wait and I, I'm convincing myself that, man, everything just needs to be perfect, really, that's, that's probably just laziness. Anybody ever feel that way, if we're honest? Like there's something God wants me to do, and I'll make every excuse to not do it. And it's not always this need for perfection. It's oftentimes just our own laziness. We don't want to mess up the comfort that we have. What do you have right now? What's in place right now? Who's around you that can help you do it? As we keep reading, God says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a stick, right? And God says, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. Now, this is why I'm not Moses, because if God showed me that cool trick, I would have spent the next 30 minutes just doing this. Stick, snake, stick, snake. It would be awesome. I'd go tell my friends, check this out. Stick, snake. 
Not Moses. He was more mature, I guess. But he says, this is a sign. This is a sign that they'll know that I am God. And he doesn't even wait for Moses' next excuse. He says, put your hand in your coat and pull it out. Leprosy. Big, big problem. Right? That's an immediate social death. You've got to get sent away. Nobody wants to be around someone with leprosy. And then he said, put it back in, pull it out. It's completely restored. And if those two things don't convince them, just take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground. I'll turn it into blood. Totally normal things, right? God didn't give him a chance. He went straight through those three things. And scripture says that this is for the Israelites who doubt. But reading chapter three and up to this point in chapter four, I get the feeling that this isn't just for them. This is definitely still for Moses, who was so unconvinced. I mean, this guy's having a conversation with a burning bush, and he's still not believing that God can do what he's telling him to do. God is working to show him that he is who he says he is. The task at hand is huge. How is he going to convince Israelites to follow him? How is he going to convince Pharaoh to let them go if he doesn't even believe it himself? My next thought for this morning is that when you're convinced others will listen. When you're convinced, others will listen. When you believe, they might too. Just take a moment and think about our culture right now and Christianity within our culture right now. Many people have a bad taste in their mouth for Christianity. And I think that some of that can be unfair. However, if they look at us, if people who aren't followers of Christ look at us, the church, and they see no difference if they look at us and they hear what we have to say, but we look just like them, they see people who are unloving. If they see people who are ungenerous, if they see people who are uninterested in serving others, why would they be convinced of their need for a God? I think many times we're painted a certain way in culture, not because it's unfair, but because they actually see through us. And I think that's something we all need to address. We need to be honest with ourselves there. They see us as people who say things that we don't really believe. I mean, do we really believe the power of God that's spoken about in this book? Do we really believe that if we're following Christ, that the same power and spirit that lived in Jesus and raised him from the dead lives in us now? Jesus said that. Do we believe it? Do we live like that? I know I don't all the time. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't. And as a parent, I think about it this way. When I'm convinced, they'll be convinced. I've had the privilege of uh, working with students for, for however many years that's been, 16. And the cool part about that is being able to see students grow, right? My first seventh graders are now 28 years old. Oh, I am old. But when you're, the question we ask ourselves all the time is how do we keep, how do we help kids uh, keep their faith? How do we help them nurture their faith and grow it so that when they get to college, when they get out of college, they're gonna stay in their faith? And what I've been able to see is kids all over the map, but what I've seen in the kids who have been successful at this, the kids who leave college and stay grounded in their faith, I've seen a few common denominators, some themes. 
And a lot of them have to do with their parents at home when they're kids. Some of those are this. Um, their parents are actively engaged in their own faith. Their parents are actively engaged in their own faith. They're actually doing the things that they want their kids to do. They're consistent. They look for help in their own weaknesses. This isn't, this isn't 100%. We have a lot of great parents who have done that and their kids still have struggled. But at the very least, your kids will see you and know that you're true to your convictions, that you're authentic in this faith. And that matters. Do you want your kids to serve? Then they need to see you serving. Shameless plug for Flower City Work Camp. A great opportunity to serve. We have about 2,000 people who come to our church monthly. We struggle to get 100 to help at that event. It's a massive, important event, not just for churches, but for students. We can do better. How are we serving? How are we showing our kids that we serve? Do we want them to do devotions? Then we need to do devotions. We need to read our Bible. A lot of parents think family Bible study, family devotions are the best way to go. Not always. Not always. Some kids might not like that. But if they see you in your Bible, that makes a huge impact. Do we want them to be people who pray? Then we gotta pray with them. They have to see us pray. Do we want them to be engaged in church and a faith community long term? Then they need to see us prioritize church and a faith community now and not make it the second choice when something else comes up. Do we want them to share their doubts with us? Then maybe we need to be a little more vulnerable and share our doubts with them. Quit worrying about what you don't have and use, start using what you got and know that when you're convinced, others will listen. The third thing I see in this scripture is that you're the best person for the job he has given you. You're the absolute first choice best person for that nudge that you're feeling. Moses continues complaining, right? Even after stick snake, even after zombie hand, He's still complaining and not believing. And God gets angry with him and, and brings Aaron to, in to be a part of this process. But the thing is, Moses is the guy, and he's never not the guy. He's the man that God chooses, but he needed a kickstart. So Aaron comes in, and he plays this role. He's the, he's the voice for Moses. But if you keep reading, you get to chapter 13, 14, and the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea, you know that, you know, that's a huge moment. We don't really hear much about Aaron at that point. He's there, but we don't hear much about him because Moses is the guy that God chose. Moses is the one he wants to be the leader. Even in all of his unbelief, even with his lack of confidence. And that speaks to me because he knows us. God knows all about us. He knows what we're good at. He knows what we're definitely not good at. But make no mistake that we're all called to something that we may not feel we can do on our own. We are all called to do something that we may not feel we're called to do on our own, and that's exactly how he wants it. God wants to be the person, to be the, the driving force in the building of his kingdom. 
It's exactly how he wants it. If we can do it on our own, what do we need him for, right? The Bible is full of unqualified people that God uses to advance his kingdom. Parents, think about it this way. If you want your kids to get better at a sport that they're playing, what do we do? We, we hire extra help. We hire trainers. We send them to get help because our jump shot is no good and they need help from a pro. When we want them to get better or when they want to get better at an instrument, we give them lessons. We hire that out because we want experts to come in. When we want them to get better in their academics, we hire tutors. We do everything we can to help them where we can't help them. And what they're doing in those moments, we're pretty disconnected from. But the problem is we transfer this process to the growth and the faith of our kids. And we say, you know what, they need to get better at Jesusing. So we need to just send them to church, send them to the youth group, send them to, to uh, youth pastors, small group, and they'll take care of that. Well, the problem is that's not how God set this up. In Deuteronomy 6, God sets it up that parents are the number one spiritual influence in the lives of their kids, and that still is true today. That still is true today. Yes, of course, send them to youth group, but the youth pastor and the small group leaders are here to teach and guide your kids only as a supplement to what you do at home. Not to be the leader in that. We're actually supposed to be here more for you than for them. When you send your student to youth group or to, to Sunday school, we're just reaffirming the truths that hopefully you're already teaching them at home. Kara Powell, who is an uh, author um, and does a lot of study on, on faith and, and students keeping their faith through college, and, and she's written books called Sticky Faith and other things, and, and she says that students need or kids need a four-to-one adult ratio to have a healthy faith, and that is four adults speaking in their lives for every one kid, not one to four like we would probably think of it. So youth pastors are good and small group leaders are good and coaches that love Jesus are good, but, but parents are that number one voice. It's you. Don't run away from that responsibility. It's so important. So whatever stage of life that you are in, God is with you. The God who created all that we can and cannot see is calling us to action and walking alongside of us in that. Do you trust him? Parents, even though you feel super unequipped, I've been there, I feel the same way. It feels like you don't know what the next move is. You have everything you need if your full trust is truly in God. So what is in your hand? What is he asking you to do and what do you have that he wants to use? When I was 10 years old, my uh, mom was diagnosed with cancer. And um, I watched her fight this battle for two years. And eventually the cancer and, and the treatment of the cancer wore her body down so much that she passed away when I was 12. And when you're a 12-year-old, my brother was 17, my sister was 20, 21. When you're a 12-year-old and all you know and all you've heard from the day you were born in a fundamental conservative house is that God is the author of everything. 
Everything that happens is from God. It's all him. And then your mom dies? That's really hard to reconcile. That doesn't make any sense. And I've seen kids, in my experience here at Browncroft, who have dealt with death, and when they, they get to that point and they're like, wait, if God is all, this is all about God, this doesn't make sense. And I've seen them walk away from their faith because of that. But thankfully, my mom, a few weeks before she passed away, she decided she knew that this was going to be something that her kids were going to have to deal with. She knew that this was going to be something that we might stumble over. And she took inventory of her own life, and she said, what do I have in my hand? She didn't have health, and she didn't have time. What she had was a pen and a paper and a heart for God. And so she wrote each of us notes. She wrote each of us letters. And in this letter that I still carry with me today, she wrote down things like, Josh, this is who I see you being. This is who you are. This is what God is going to do in your life. This is who you are, and this is who you're becoming. But the one thing she said that I can't get over because I read it over and over is that she said, Josh, don't blame God for this. Look for God in this. He's got a plan if you stay faithful. And so in that moment, as I'm reading this note, I mean, I, I want nothing more than to just not understand, but I'm hearing the words of my, my mom saying, God has a plan here. What did she have in her hand? Nothing except a pen and a paper. But that letter that I've gone back to many times is something that's kept my faith grounded. It's kept me going in the right path, trusting God even when I didn't feel like it. And I've been able to serve at Browncroft for 16 years, and I've been able to have an impact on a generation of students who are now impacting other kids and other students. And God is building his kingdom, not because of anything we've done, but because of remaining faithful and trusting in him. So what do you have in your hand today? God wants you to take your small step of faith and action and turn it into something huge for his kingdom. So before we leave, I wanted for us to just, I wanted to give you an opportunity to think about this and pray about this. So uh, the band is gonna be playing a song here for just a few minutes. And I'd love for you to just sit and pray and ask God two questions. Think about these two questions. What is God nudging you to do? Where does he want you to move? What is he calling you to start or to stop? Where does he want you to jump in and just trust him? Or maybe what is that thing that you've been purposely avoiding that you've been getting nudged for for many years? Ask him what he wants you to do, and then the second thing is take inventory. What do you have in your hand? What do you have? What has he given you? Is it time? Is it resources? Is it creativity? Whatever it is, just sit, pray, and listen.